As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Friday, February 12th. Yes, that means Valentine's Day is Sunday. If you're like me and you didn't know that until you walked into a grocery store yesterday, you still have time to save yourself. So, you know, do that accordingly. Uh, Derek Van Riper here with Britt Giroli and Eno Saris on this Friday. Lots of fun stuff to talk about today. We have some curious questions around the Red Sox following their trade this week. Andrew Benintendi, gone. He is now a Royal. We'll talk about their offseason as a whole. We're going to take a look at the Pakota projected standings because uh, Eno's Astros came up with a very favorable win total there, so we'll dig into that as well as Damn some you. other teams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're definitely on board. Uh, really cool format, Home Run Derby, Fantasy Leagues. We're going to talk about that for a little bit and some follow-up questions about some changes to the baseball, plus the other fun tangents that we usually go on. Uh, how's it going for you guys in this Friday? What's going on, Britt? Um, nothing. So have you not been to the grocery store since Halloween? Because the Valentine's Day stuff has been out basically since, <laughs> right. I guess it's like the day after Christmas would be probably more accurate. Um, so yeah, I did <laughs> Seasonal not creep. <laughs> but also I'm a woman, so I've been dropping hints all week. Like, what are we doing this year? Cause we can't do anything. So I hope you have something planned. Well, we're in, uh, we're approaching year 12 of our marriage in my house. So we've agreed that Valentine's Day doesn't have to be that big of a deal. Our wedding anniversary is in the spring. So we, we do more for that typically than we do for Valentine's Day. So that's kind of nice to not have to like double down on gifts. Yeah, that's exactly what we're like. And in fact, for us, our wedding anniversary is two days after Valentine's Day. Oh, so yeah, there you go. we've pretty much ignore Valentine's Day and, uh, focus on on our uh, on our anniversaries. So, but on your since they're love, so close, nice. I still have I I still have to use Valentine's Day as a oh dude. <laughs> that's right, it's a built-in reminder for you, yeah. just in case. Well, they were really crazy. My grocery store, so they have uh, a big bunker of like the on-sale meat right when you walk in. Very convenient, right? So they put the chocolate and stuff right in front of that for this week, so you couldn't <laughs> miss it. Like it's it's been there for months, like you said, kind of on <laughs> Is the that side. Marketing it, men. <laughs> yeah. You're here for the meat. Oh, don't forget. I yeah. very much felt targeted by the the bunker of chocolate in front of the bunker of. Meat, but uh, oh, you know. God. that's awesome. Here you go, morons. Yeah. <laughs> Don't forget this, idiots. While you're buying steak, just accidentally reach over and grab a thing of chocolate. And oh yeah, and they put the flowers by the checkout. So they yeah they they do a few things to to help people out who aren't good at that stuff. But uh, oh, uh, well you, yeah, you'll have about less than forty eight hours by the time this podcast airs. So. Hurry. Uh, let's Hurry. talk about this trade. Andrew Benintendi, now a member of the Kansas City Royals. I'm a little surprised they traded him away, especially after a very truncated 2020 season. He was hurt last year. wasn't good the little bit that he played. The trade sent Franchi Cordero to Boston. He is literally one of fantasy Twitter's favorite players who's never been able to produce over a prolonged period of time because the stat cast numbers are really good. Uh, Josh Winkowski went to Boston Three players to be named later, one from the Mets, two from the Royals, because, yeah, the Mets got in on the fun. Khalil Lee, uh, Royals <laughs> prospect, an outfielder who's more of a right fielder than a center fielder and needs to develop some power. He goes to the Mets. So 
Why did Boston trade Andrew Benintendi? Do either of you have a, a good explanation for why they didn't want this guy anymore? I hope you guys are watching on YouTube now because this is just a shrug from me. Just shrugging. I have no idea. But guys, people were saying the Mets won this trade. And the Mets were barely involved in this trade. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> I've got nothing. <laughs> I said on Twitter, like, this is the rare trade that I hate for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think the I think the Mets, you know, turned uh like a, a smaller variance pitcher into a higher variance hitting prospect. So I think that might be a good thing, you know, just to if Khalil Lee like supposedly found some power during the at the alternate south this year with you know a swing change. So if he actually has power to go along with that bad strikeout rate, but the Royals got rid of two guys that strike out a lot. And, you know, as much as Franchi's, um, is it, am I going to say it wrong? I mean, it's, you said Frenchies and that is not a name of a restaurant. Well, I would it say is in Clearwater in Frenchies is like this really oh, well-known yeah. place in Clearwater. I think where the Phillies play, but he's, I he's think- like, he's like raunchy. He's like Franchi. I thought there's Franchi. Franchi. You think French? it's Franchi? It's I have definitely no idea why I feel like it's Franchi. Like Franchi. Yeah. Uh, like, why, why do I like think Like a Spanish pronunciation would be Franchi. Right? Okay. See, that's if, why yeah. I think. <laughs> but if, yeah, if we're going to anglify it, it'd be Franchi. Well, anyway, uh, Mr. Cordero, um, he, he does have good barrel rates and he does have good exit velocities and good sprint speeds. And, you know, he's an athlete, but uh, he's, his career strikeout rate is 35% and that's barely doable, even in today's game. Um, yeah, and so, that's Franchi. So I, yeah, good, Franchi. <laughs> so I think that Boston is just sort of betting on some of the small swing changes he made last year and hoping that he can make more contact. And I guess also, this is my thing. This is why I don't like it for the uh, the Royals and the and the Red Sox at the same time, which is the 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 Royals are projected by Picota to be a seventy one win team. Steamer has them closer to eighty. And uh, Ben Attendi is projected to be about a two-win player. That's like a league average player. So you're adding a league average player to a league average team or worse uh, for the Royals. So I'm like, what's necessarily the point? For the Red Sox, they're like, what's the point of keeping around a league average player if our whole ethos now is Raisian and we're going to build our league average players by smushing uh, Hunter Renfro and Franchi Franchi Cordero together? You know, what would their name be? Um, what, what, and what? <laughs> Franchi Renfro. Franchi, that, yeah. that, that works. Hunter, Hunter Cordero doesn't seem Hauncher. quite right. No. That doesn't Hauncher. flow. Hauncher. <laughs> Hauncher. <laughs> Hauncher. Like if you just let them just you know uh, go up against lefties and righties, like uh, you know as the as a platoon group, I think they might actually get to two wins. Um, and they would cost a lot less and because of how arbitration works and stuff. I mean, I, it's gaming the system, and I don't know. I I find this, there's like some underpinnings to this trade that are like gross, I, like yeah. not good for fans. This is a Red Sox. Ben Attendee was the number one prospect in baseball. He's a Red Sox. You know, he's like, he's had great seasons for them. Like, of course he should come and bounce back for the Red Sox this year, even if he's going to leave in, in – in, uh, in free agency. Yeah. It's just not good for baseball when the Red Sox are like a non-factor, right? Or like a laughing stock. And that's kind of what they are. I mean, they're just, what are they going to be? Where, what, where, where are they going here soon? It, to me, it, it's kind of unfortunate because you always have those teams you'd love to hate. And the Red Sox is one of them and they're usually good. And it's just kind of sad. Yeah. I think ever since they lost Mookie Betts, just kind of in this down downward slope here and i agree with you it's like whatever for the royals i do i will say this though i feel like the royals have quietly had a sneaky pretty good off season right they made a lot of earlier moves uh i think you know they're they're an organization that didn't have layoffs right that paid scouts that has like kind of done things the right way in terms of emphasizing people and player development yeah. and i for one hope that they end up being good and hope that works out because as you know, as you guys know, it's a copycat industry. So it would be nice if teams are like, whoa, we should do what the Royals are doing, like small market Royals. You know, yeah. I, I, I think they've made some, you know, nothing splashy, but like they add minor, they get Michael Taylor. Uh, we talked about Ben Attendee. Uh, you know, they, they got Santana early. I do think that they've made some moves that uh, 
quietly here because they made it kind of in the beginning of the offseason and we kind of forgot about those moves similar to Atlanta you like forgot Atlanta did stuff because they were the only team doing stuff really in the beginning um I think the Royals are going to be okay um I do I mean that's a tough division because we know the twins uh you got the twins and White Sox who are are you know shaping up and in that win now mode uh but I kind of like what the Royals have done yeah and you know I I had an internal struggle on this because there's like the sort of numbers guy in me, of course, that's like, dude, what? you have like a, you have like a, what? <laughs> you have like numbers a 72 guy, win projection. Guy. Why are you adding two wins to that? What's the point? You should hang on to Franchi and Khalil Lee and hope that one of them pops. That's the sort of numbers side. But, you know, there's another number side, which is team projections aren't, set in stone they have wide error bars so if they're projected to be an 81 win team they could win 88 and if if they end up getting expanded playoffs or if you know the white Sox fall back or whatever it is 88 couldn't could get you in the discussion for the wild card race it could get more seats uh people in the seats as like they're like oh something's building here we're getting somewhere and then some of those pitching prospects make the majors and and start making the adjustments and start being and really popping then you're sort of building year over year and you're doing the right thing and also you're doing the right thing in terms of trying to be better (laughs) so I like, I guess I like that. There's a part of me that's like, why? But, you know, I like that. <laughs> what I don't like so much is, I ha- there's this tweet, man. I, I'm not, I don't, I'm not trying to shame the guy. I'm not going to name him. But here's this tweet. Bloom found a way to sign and acquire Hunter Renfro, Matt Andres, Kike Hernandez, Martin Perez, Garrett Richards, Adam Adovito, Franchi Cordero, Marwin Gonzalez, and Hiroko Kazu Sawamura and the Red Sox will stay under the luxury tax threshold. Woo! Yeah, it's like, what are you, a shareholder? Are you an owner? Are you benefiting from your team not spending that money exactly? Do you think if they go over the luxury tax threshold, they're going to charge you more for food? Like, it's not how it works. Yeah, they got a bunch. It's the Rays thing, too, where they got a bunch of five one-win guys, right? That they're like, well, if we play him, you know, here, and we do this here, and we push this guy into, you know, we do this, then we'll we'll get a bunch of league average positions, and, you know, and it won't cost anything. I mean, but, uh, like... Is anybody going to go to the park to see Hunter Renfro? Is any, I mean, I, I like the guy. Maybe he'll hit a bunch of dingers and they will go to the park to see him. But for the most part, this, these are uh, role players. And, and the reason that it makes sense from, let me put my numbers hat back on, is that nothing costs less, even per win, than a non-league average player. Players under two wins cost less even per win than players above that. So if you want to get... Uh, you know, a superstar, and you go out and get Bryce Harper, you have to pay more dollars per win because he's a four or five win guy because you're fitting more wins into your roster spot. But the Rays have figured out that you can pay $2 million for Hunter Renfro or $3 million for Hunter Renfro and still get a win. Um, It's just not very exciting. It's not very exciting to players. And I will have to admit, as much as I found the Rays run exciting and try to defend them a little bit in public, there is a part of me that's like, there's so many interchangeable parts, and they they are coming and going so fast that it must be a little disconcerting to be a Rays fan. And is that what's coming to Boston? I think the Royals do deserve some credit. I think they got the best player in the deal in Benintendi. He's been a four-win player before. They have him for two years. They have young pitching coming up. Yeah. We had Alec Lewis on Fantasy Baseball in 15 this morning previewing the Royals, and Daniel Lynch is going to be in the big leagues probably by the end of the season. Jackson Coar is probably going to be in the big leagues by the end of the season. So if you add those two guys to Brad Keller, who's been better than expected, I mean, the results are excellent. We still aren't completely sure how he does it, but he's pitched really well as a big league starter. Brady Singer, who came up last year and held his own. Mike Miner, who Britt mentioned, isn't bad. Danny Duffy is passable in the back of a rotation. Like, they actually have five or six quality big league starters if both Lynch and Coar come up and pitch well. That doesn't even mention Asa Lacey, who they took early in the 2020 draft. He might be a pretty quick to the big league sort of guy. Their best prospect, Bobby Witt, might be a relative fast mover, even though he's not going to help them in 2021. So you put Benintendi out there with Carlos Santana, who they added earlier in the offseason. Maybe you get a bounce back from Dozier. A healthy Jorge Soler is going to give them power. They get plenty of power from Sal Perez. Like They're at least going to be watchable. Give them credit for that for sure. 
But there's a chance that Benintendi bounces back and is a three or four win player again. And if that's the case, then he becomes a guy they can trade for more young talent if they're not as successful as they want to be with him. So I I think this works on on multiple levels. That Maybe part, I'm just high on the Royals because I talked to Alec yesterday about them, but I, I kind of like what they're doing here. I'll give you yeah. that there's a lot of sort of variance in the good direction. If they if they call up one of those pitchers and they just pop right away, there's one thing is like Daniel Lynch is a sinker guy and the league is going away from sinkers. And so if you look at different lists like Keith Laws or or um, Kylie McDaniels or whoever's like the the placement of Daniel Lynch is wildly different based on how much people are sort of biased towards the four seamer now. Um, and so that's uh, that'll be something interesting. But let's say he comes up and pops um, or Kowar comes up and pops, then, you know, that'll change the projections quickly. Um, that'll change their outlook quickly. And I'm, I'm with you on that. The one thing about the flipping thing, I just don't think he'll have that much flipping value. Uh, because he, by the time you'd flip him next trade deadline, um, he would only have a year left. And, you know, we've seen guys who only had a year left, like Chris Bryant can't even get traded because, you know, he only has a year left and nobody's offering enough for the Cubs to think it's worth it. So, you know, if Chris Bryant can't get traded, Andrew Benintendi coming off of two league average seasons, one good season, one good season, I guess he's in the middle of, and then two, like a bad season. I don't think that that's like, Bryant would be a, more of an asset, right? I mean, Ben Tenney's a corner outfielder. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, that makes sense. Also, guys, on the flip side of all this, like, well, how good are the Royals going to be? I think that there's a lot of variance with this White Sox team because of the Tony La Russa factor. That could be a horrible experiment. Right, that could go go that could go south really fast. So who's to say that the Royals couldn't all of a sudden you know be a wild card team, finish behind the Twins per se? Right, I think that the White Sox are are loaded with talent, but that isn't always the bet the team that ends up winning. Right, they have a couple injuries, and Tony Larusa turns off the clubhouse, and you're dealing with a team that largely underperforms. I mean, if there's one team, yeah, if there's one team to me that's like, oh God, I don't I don't know how this is gonna go. It's the White Sox because of Tony La Russa. He's really, he's really, I mean, he can really drive a bullpen. Um, and there's some arms in that bullpen that uh, have had injuries in the past. A lot of injuries, you know. Um, and so, you know, if he drives the bullpen hard and loses Bummer and loses Crochet, Crochet, Crochet. Crochet It really crunchy. wouldn't be Crochet. <laughs> To Gonna beep to that put, out, jeez! Yeah. <laughs> Gonna have to put an explicit thing on today's episode. <laughs> I had coffee this morning, um, so uh, Tony Larusa. Uh, let's say he pushes the bullpen real hard. The bullpen falls apart, um, and then he gets into some sort of tiff with one of his major uh, players. Uh, he's ha- he's really hard on players sometimes. If he sees if he thinks that like a player is not um, you know up to up to the effort level. Uh, if he just sees that, like, oh, he thinks that Robert is coasting or something and Robert's hitting 210 and he starts talking about how Robert's hitting 210 and ignores all the other value that he brings to the table. And now Robert is mad and, um, and he takes a couple players with him on his side. And all of a sudden it's a crap show like that. This is not even, this is not even crazy what I'm saying. Like, (laughs) this this is like totally possible. And even without all that, the Pakoda projections came out today, uh, or yesterday and, the Cubs are projected for more wins than the White Sox. I, that's sort of tasty to me. It's it's just so <laughs> crazy. Uh, the Cubs have 85. 
The Milwaukee is 88 in these. The Cardinals are not even a 500 team by Pakoda after the Arenado trade. And we all anointed them the, the leaders in the Central. And the, the White Sox are projected to end up third in the Central with 83 wins. So, I mean, even within the different projection systems, we don't have that much agreement. No. The, how are the Cubs going to be that good? Were you, that was one of the most surprising things to me. I don't know how you guys feel, but how are the Cubs supposed to be? They're, they're an NL wildcard team right now. The way that those projections are, they'd be the, the last team in. It's For me, it, it's hard to look at that pitching staff and say, okay, yeah, that pitching staff's a playoff caliber pitching staff, right? Hendricks, Davies, Mills, Alzale, Trevor Williams, Cole, Star- Cole Stewart right now is listed as their sixth starter. It gets ugly fast, and it's really a lot of back-end guys behind Hendricks. I mean, Zach Davies might be a little underrated, but he's more of an innings eater than a guy that's going to come out and take over a game for you, too. I mean, you think about it, if they even get into the playoffs, how are they going to hold up against the elite of the elite offenses with that staff? And you'd say, okay, well, maybe the bullpen's really good. That's not necessarily the case there either. I mean, Craig Kimbrell's been all over the place since becoming a Cub. Rowan Wick's kind of interesting. They added Andrew Chafin to the bullpen. Dan Winkler's there. It's not, It's just, you know, it's an okay bullpen, but it doesn't look like a lockdown top five sort of bullpen. The lineup's still good. I think that's one area where people might be Probably sleeping on the Cubs a, a little bunch bit. Of bounce backs, right, in that lineup. Right, like a healthy Chris Bryant, uh, a bounce back from Javi Baez, a typical Anthony Rizzo season. That's a great core three to have. And they still have Wilson Contreras. There are a lot of rumors he's going to get traded, but they didn't trade him. They have Ian Happ, who took a pretty big step forward last year. And Peterson as a replacement for Schwarber, I I think there is a downgrade, but he's at least a passable sort of replacement. So they're a good offensive team. They're probably a tick below average in the starting rotation as a whole, and they're probably close to average with that bullpen. And I think part of this projection is just this division is by far the weakest division. And the Brewers are favored to win, but they have the lowest win probability at 55%. Strength of schedule stuff a little bit. Yeah, I think it's all just pretty flat across this division. Other than the Pirates, you could still probably argue any one of the other four teams as a legitimate division winner in the NL Central this year. One little thing I gotta I gotta say because it's crazy and I don't know what to do with it, but the Cubs rotation ranks second in stuff and first in command. And I know Jeremy Greenhouse, the leader of R and D there, and he is the first guy I've ever seen. In 2008, he wrote a piece called On Stuff, and he created a stuff metric in 2008. And ever since, I've been trying to replicate his work, basically, and, and, and advance it in the public sphere. That means he's been doing it in the private sphere. That means he's been doing it better because he's smarter than me. And you know, like, like, So they have something along these same lines as our stuff number, and maybe they just found a way to acquire undervalued starters. If you think about it, let you Darvish go and get Zach Davies. Zach Davies has a great stuff number and a great command number. They're doing every, they're basically finding ways to acquire everything but velocity. And so that whole rotation, other than Alzale, is going to average, you know, 89 miles an hour on the fastball, but hopefully be able to put the ball where they want it and, and do funky stuff with the shapes. The whole, it's Kyle Hendricks as, as a leader, you know, basically. Um, there's probably no pitcher other than Kyle Hendricks. You know, Zach Davies is probably the most Kyle Hendricks-like pitcher other than Kyle Hendricks. And Alec Mills is, you know, has the spin mirroring. I've talked about this. Has the spin mirroring and also has uh, seam shifted wake. Maybe they're just sort of engineering an undervalued rotation. So I don't know if that's necessarily in Pakoda. I think Pakoda is mostly uh, bouncing back those veteran bats because the Pakoda projections um, have them giving up uh, the most runs in the top three there, you know, giving up 80 more runs in Milwaukee, giving up 40 more runs than, um, than St. Louis, but also scoring a bunch more runs than those guys. So I think they're betting on the bats, but I personally am going to be really interested to see how that rotation does uh, because they seem to be making a bet on everything but velocity while the rest of the league is deep in the tank for velocity. So are we perhaps as a group, uh, conflating the the absence of strikeouts with the absence of stuff. Like, I mean, like that to me, just because the Cubs pitchers don't strike people out, I think we all have this perception, especially in fantasy. We're so strikeout-driven in fantasy analysis. Oh, the stuff can't be that good. Clearly, it can be. 
I mean, I'm thinking about the Alec Mills no-hitter that I watched against the Brewers last year. I'm like, how is this guy throwing a no-hitter? I mean, I know it's one game. Anyone can do anything in one game, but why can't they why can't they hit this guy? Well, maybe the stuff maybe these stuff metrics in this case are are finding something that is really effective against hitters. Maybe the extreme ability to induce weak contact is a skill almost across the board for the Cubs rotation that that does play up a lot better than than we realize. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, is that is that the new wave? Like, have we reached the point where guys aren't going to throw 120 miles an hour, right? So have we reached the, hey, instead of collecting velocity, 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 and we talked about this a little bit during the playoffs with the bullpen with the different arm angles, are we now mm-hmm. shifting towards stuff because it's cheaper, right? Teams can acquire it and it seems like it's easier to get. It doesn't cost as much. It's not valued as much. The guys who throw 100 are going to be the top prospects. Um, is that a way for teams like the Cubs who basically have gotten crushed all winter, right? They, they've, they've traded away a lot of guys. They've obviously, uh, a lot of their salary, uh, they've done a lot of cost-cutting moves, you Darvish being the big one. Um, if they win, are you guys concerned? One, about the message this sends to other teams, kind of the opposite of the Royals. And two, is this is this a copycat thing? It could be okay. It could be okay because it could allow for more balls in play. Um, it, it, uh, it could allow for honestly, sometimes better, uh, just uh, like better games. I I think it's a little bit more fun to watch somebody with good command, you know, like when they can put the ball where they need, like, I don't really want every count to go three, two, you know, um, I don't really want to like, just see someone who throws really hard and can't find the zone. It's not, it's not always that, that impressive. So it could be good for the game to, to kind of go in this direction. And one thing I was thinking about just to, um, Two of the, the 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 most beautiful pitches to watch the curve and the change, they get half the whiffs of a slider on average. The average curve and the average change get about half the whiffs of a slider, um, and I think. But they also get way more grounders, and they also give up way fewer homers than sliders. So you know you're kind of you're 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 saying like. That's that's a little bit of the basis of stuff. You can have this great stuff that suppresses homers, that that does good things to balls in play, that keeps the ball on the ground, um, and that doesn't have to have to go ninety nine. So, uh, especially if you can you can put it in the right place. So I think it could be good for I think it could be good good for baseball. I mean, the whole thing about strikeouts is we're getting we're we're getting to the upper edge of I think the possible repeatable velocity. You've seen. That you know, we used to be average fastball velocity was 89 when we started tracking it. It's 94 now, but over the last three years, it's gone like 93, 93.4, 93.5. So it's like really starting to slow down in terms of how much more we can add. And if we're getting to the upper bounds, like you're saying, if we're getting to the upper bounds of like everyone throwing 100, uh, then some teams are going to be smart and say, you know, what about Ryan Yarborough? You know, what about Marco Gonzalez? What about Zach Davies? They're pretty good. I had that thought with the Royals too, though. With you know, saying Daniel Lynch throws the sinker, and that drives a lot of how he's evaluated in different places, right? Like he's high on some lists, low on others. But if teams find a way with you know, seam shifted wake and spin mirroring to utilize sinkers in a way that they previously weren't being utilized. Well, you have a group of pitchers who are now undervalued, who actually exceed expectations because they mix their pitches in a way that. Pitches, pitchers who previously had a sinker didn't, and now this pitch that used to be bad is actually good because it's done correctly. I mean, I think that's that's the way baseball is fascinating. When when teams are finding their own way to have success, that makes it fun. When thirty teams all try to be cheap and act like the Rays, that's not fun. And you know, this is cool. You're killing Boston today. <laughs> uh, well, I, I think the the Red Sox and the Cubs are kind of the equivalent, right? The historical big spending franchise in a big market that is spending a lot less. And Cubs, according to Cots, their opening day payroll in 2019 was $203 million. That was third in Major League Baseball. As it stands right now, according to Cots, they're at 141. Wow. That's, that's a, a big cut. Big drop. And yeah. again, teams like sure, we've we've talked about the things being different last year with no fans in the seats and that's probably going to be at least that way for part of this season in a lot of markets. That's a massive drop for an organization that has plenty of money. So they don't have to only go cheap in the rotation and only do that. They could have gone out and spent on a free agent. They could have been the team that gave Bauer the contract the Dodgers did. The Dodgers are sort of proof, 
hey, you, you could have done this too. That, that's like a message to the Cubs and the Red Sox and the other big market teams that haven't spent. You could have spent this money, and the Cubs are nowhere near that luxury tax threshold anyway. So they don't even have that excuse. Yeah, when it comes to COVID, the Dodgers should be more scared than anybody that there won't be any fans in seats for a lot of the year. I mean, California has most the most restrictive policies, I think, in America. So, um, you know, I could see I could see them being nervous and saying, no, 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 we're not going to spend. And then here they go. They go right through the, the luxury tax. So, uh, yeah, I wonder what's going on in Chicago. I wonder how much of it has to do with the, just the poor timing of like trying to launch that TV channel um right when this happened i think other teams had tv deals the idea with owning your own tv channel is eventually you kind of pay yourself and you can you know get almost all the money out of that tv station um whereas uh other teams had like a steady tv deal that was in place so they got that money even in the covid year um so that's that's being as kind as i can be to the cubs i think yeah i mean the rest of this pakota stuff i mean it's kind of interesting. The Mets, I don't think, deserve to be quite as out in front of the NL East, even with Lindor. I still think that having the the Braves in fourth place is kind of insane. Uh, you yeah. know, the Yankees well out in front of the rest of the division. Also a little questionable to me. Uh, you know, the Rays are always good. I think we know that by now. We've talked on the show. I think the Blue Jays are going to be a surpriser. I think I picked them as like my surprise pick. So mm-hmm. could the Yankees win the division? Yes. Uh, but to me, it's just like a little, it's a little too much of a, of a strong favorite to me in, in those projections. Th- those things jumped out to me. And then, of course, um, Eno's Astros on top in the AL West and uh, what ends up happening there. I don't know. A lot of those teams are kind of not impressive, I guess, to be nice. Uh- <laughs> but the A's coming in under 500 kind of raised an eyebrow for me. I, th- they don't strike me as an under 500 team, but they also haven't done anything this offseason. I mean, that's another yeah. thing about the Yankees. The Yankees seem to be just re-rolling the dice, right? Like, they're just doing the same team. Like, you can look at Kluber and Tyon, but are they that much better than Tanaka and Hap? And otherwise, the rest of the team is coming back. And in fact, Tanaka and Hap would have been more healthy. So you're just hoping that Kluber and Tyon, even though they give you fewer innings, they're better innings. Uh, that's that's the bet. And that's about the only thing that I can see that's that much different from the Yankees this year as last year. And last year, the Yankees wouldn't have made the playoffs without the expanded, uh, without the expanded playoffs. So, you know, you're, 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 it seems kind of crazy to give them 97 wins. Um, you know, when the, the you got the Padres at 96 and and the and the Mets at 96. So, I don't know. I, I do believe uh, the, the Los Angeles projection also is kind of crazy to project a team to win 103. That doesn't happen very often. No, that's uh, and that's not just the Bauer factor either, because I, I think. Pre-Bauer, they would have been 98 or 99, I would guess, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're not taking more than five wins off that total. So that's incredible to see those two teams just a, like a several miles ahead of Arizona and San Francisco and Colorado. Uh, shout out to the Rockies for having the lowest simulated win total, even lower than the Pirates. Good <laughs> and, job, guys. And the guys Orioles. Really smart. Six yeah. fewer wins than the Orioles. That's tough to do. Real tough. <laughs> Jeff Burtish was right. His job is tough. <laughs> his job is hard. He makes his job hard, but his to job be that is hard. Bad. <laughs> you guys couldn't do this. You couldn't make it. We team couldn't this bad. be this. You're bad. right. I couldn't. I couldn't be that incompetent. <laughs> I was surprised by the A's too, though. Looking at the AL West, you know, I, I am just used to them being like an 83 win projection that finds a way to get 87 or 88 and uh-huh. hang around. And I don't. I never want to bet against them because of of their. Let's call it resourcefulness. But I trust the Angels, I think, more than at least Britt does. I, I think they have a lot of talent, more talent around Mike Trout than they've probably ever had during Trout's time there. So Very I think true. there's a pretty decent chance that they can I think they can actually put some legitimate pressure on the Astros. I think Astros-Angels could be a pretty fun battle all season long. I mean, the Rendon signing, because it was a shortened season last year, I don't think we got to really take that in as how much of an upgrade it truly was. Shohei Otani being healthier is really interesting. Uh, adding the bulk back-end starters. We've talked about Quintana and, and Cobb at the time. Just They're not difference makers, but they give that team much-needed depth. They're one better in the bullpen with the Iglesias acquisition. So I, I think you can you can talk yourself into the, the Angels pushing the Astros in 2021. I'm trying to think, of those bottom three AL West teams, though, 
Do you guys have one that you like more than the others? If it's not the A's, do you trust the Mariners to bring up some young talent and maybe start to close that gap? Not really. No. I'm, I mean, I'm kind uh, of in on the on the Mariners long term. Yeah, I'm kind not, of interested not in what next year though. Yes, but I don't I don't know yeah. how I feel about like them next year. I feel like it's way it's too soon. Maybe we didn't again. How much does this trunicated 2020 set these rebuilding clubs back? Right, the Orioles, the Mariners, these kinds of teams who like needed these guys to get reps and get their like brains beat in a little bit just to continue to move forward. I think the Mariners, like Eno said, in three years, like, yeah, I think they're going to be an exciting team. 2021, probably can skip watching those games. Like, you know, I don't, I, I don't know how you do it, Eno, but I mean, I'll probably not watch very many Seattle games because one, it's on the West Coast. <laughs> and two, who's the must-see there? Who are the must-see players on that team? Well, if J- yeah, Jared Kalanish, if he gets, if he gets, if he, but I doubt they make, like, they'll, they'll say that he, like, he's in the running for opening day and keep a little excitement going. And then he won't be in the roster opening day. And they'll say, well, there hasn't been any minor league games in a year. So, um, we're at least going to see what he can do in the minor leagues, you know. Julio Rodriguez, I think, actually was hurt by the year off. You know, he was hurt, first of all. He got, he, I think he broke something. And then, on top of that, um, I think that his approach could have uh, matured by seeing a lot of different pitchers and uh, and traveling to different ballparks and, and having to kind of deal with that kind of pro-type schedule for another year. Um, whereas Jared Kalinich, I think, is a little bit closer to being ready. Uh, but I just think they'll find an excuse to, to put him in the minor leagues. And if you do that, then, uh, you know, Kyle Seeger is one of those players that's supposed to lose the most power due to the dead and ball. Um, and... Um, you know, if they don't bring up Logan Gilbert and George Kirby yet, then uh, some of that rotation is pretty suspect behind Marco Gonzalez. So uh, we'll have to see how much they can squeeze out of that roster until the, the the young guys come up. So there is no for so there is no bus watch for you right now on that team. Not as it is now. I guess like uh, so, just sort of analytically, Dylan Moore is fascinating, but I don't think that I would say you must watch Dylan Moore. It's more like <laughs> can Dylan Moore do it again? and plus i'm forced to watch them because uh i have the a's and giants as the local teams that are always on my tv um and they'll you know so i'll i'll see a fair amount of mariners games i mean if you're staying up late you're watching the angels hopefully and the padres and the dodgers but of of the al west teams the angels are the one that are worth staying up late for if you live uh, on the east coast i got five screens now (laughs) five (laughs) You can't even watch five at once. <laughs> it's, That's it, no. overwhelming. I've tried. I've tried to watch. Remember when those playoff games were on, yeah. and there was like there was a little bit of time sometimes when there's three on. I was like, I'm not watching any games. I don't. I'm just not taking any of this in. So it's just yeah. like ambient. Your eyes noise. were doing what we're doing on our, our YouTube show. Your eyes are just darting between screens. You're not really looking at anything. You're oh, not looking yeah. at your notes. You're not looking at your co-hosts. You're just. You're just shooting all over the place uh one projection that bothered me this is the last pakota thing we'll talk about on this episode cleveland 85 wins you jerks don't deserve an 85 win projection after trading away <laughs> Lindor. it's so undeserved <laughs> so undeserved i can't believe that but uh, when you look at that team it is still still good i don't know if it's nearly as fun i don't i would argue it's definitely not as fun as it was before I'm surprised they brought back Cesar Hernandez. They added Eddie Rosario. I think they got a couple of interesting young outfielders. We've talked about it before. I think the bullpen's sneaky good. I think Kernchak, Classe, and Whitgren are probably as good as any three relievers, at least in terms of just overall stuff, as any trio of relievers you can throw out there. So I, I get it. Like when I when I stop and, and push the rage aside, like I can I can walk myself up to those those 85 wins and understand where they're coming from. But I don't want to see that, and unless it's like Tristan McKenzie dealing like an ace, and like the if, if the fun parts of Cleveland come through, I'll be okay with it. But I'm still gonna be salty about the Lindor thing, even if they end up making this work. Yeah. Also, Fair. I'll be on the edge of my seat to see if they can produce a league average outfielder. <laughs> it would Sorry. be the first time in a very long time they, deserve they pulled it. that off. They deserve yeah. it. Yeah, They're going to run out Eddie Rosario, Oscar Mercado, and Daniel Johnson Jr. They deserve a little bit of sauce. <laughs> yes, they, yeah. they do.
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. <laughs> let's uh, let's talk about this home run league. We had a really interesting question that came in from one of our listeners, Kevin. He writes, I played in a fun league last year. The only stat that mattered was home runs. Pretty simple rules. You have a nine-player team, seven active players, two bench players. Once you subbed in a bench player and moved an active one to the bench, that formerly active player could not re-enter your active lineup. So you had those backup options in case of injuries or someone was slumping, but you couldn't just go in and out of the lineup the way you can in a normal league. You could only have a max active roster of 140 home runs, which is determined from the previous year's totals. So yeah, I've played in a pool like this before. It's pretty fun. There was no draft, and you could choose whomever you wanted. This made roster construction very interesting. My thought was to try and find value, and I solely based it on the previous year's total and projections. So entering 2020, Pete Alonso was projected to hit 46, but he hit 53 in 2019. So Pete Alonso would have cost you a lot of your allotted home run budget if you wanted him a year ago in this format. I'm curious how you would all approach it, especially based on last year's reduced totals. Would you look at stat cast numbers, this year's projections, or some other stat? It was fun, and I look forward to trying my hand at it again. I finished sixth out of 49 players, but sadly, out of the money. Uh, my first thought is, we can't do 140 for your home run total since we had the shortened season. So do we just divide by 2.7 and get down to 52 or something close to that number as your your home run budget from last season? Like, what's the what's the best way to set this up? I guess you got to do it that way. And it makes it hard to kind of compare what they did last year to what they're projected to do. So you can't do, like, you know, next year's homers minus last year's homers. You just get ridiculous weird numbers. Go ahead. I have no input here because I don't play fantasy. But wouldn't you look more at, like, what they did in arbitration this year where you don't look really at 2020 because it was such an anomaly and a mess and you look more at the career stats? Yeah. Yeah. When, when when you're betting on guys like he mentioned Justin Upton, uh, not a great pick. Uh, even before, I mean, not somebody I would want in a home run league. But wouldn't you look more at like the back of their baseball card in this scenario, guys? Yeah, I think I think yeah, they think that projections as the back of the baseball card. Yeah, projection as like a, a way to look at their entire history and not just 2020 and um, and then age. You know, that's the other thing. Like, that's why Justin Upton, he might be projected to, to hit a few homers, but those projections mean a lot less once you get to 32 and 33, because as we all know, life ends at 33. <laughs> it's about the age I stopped <laughs> celebrating Valentine's Day. <laughs> now, now that I think about it. Um, good to know. <laughs> but like, Yelly, Belly, you know, those guys I want. They're young. They're projected to bounce back. I want them. Yeah. And I think with with Yelich, StatCast numbers were still great last year. Yeah. So you know you're you're paying a reasonable price. He hit 12 homers. If if you end up setting your total for the whole pool at, I'd make it more like 60. Just or maybe make it 61. Significance of of the home run record from a few years ago. So you get a 61 home run budget for your nine players. 12 on Yelich is still pretty good because you might have a guy that's close to the league lead in home runs over a full season. I think the underlying numbers, what he was doing when he was making contact last year supports that he's still going to bring big power, even if he doesn't bring an elite batting average to go with it anymore, right? Like We talked about the multi-year trends with his K rates, maybe pushing him up into the mid to high 20s. So if he, if he bounces back this year, it might not be back to MVP Yelich, but part of what he will almost certainly do is hit a ton of home runs. So I think he makes a lot of sense as kind of an anchor option in something like this. I like I think these simple leagues are fun by the way, just because they 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 take so much of the the things that I love about fantasy baseball that are very complicated and time consuming and they push those things aside, but you still have strategy, you still have a reason for wanting to pick your players and you can still put as much time into it as you actually want to put into it. Yeah, and I, I, I was thinking like um, because of that one rule where like you can um, you can bench a guy, um, I think that like uh, Stanton uh, would be actually a good pick because he wouldn't cost much. He's costing you uh, was it four homers? He's costing you four homers. He could hit you forty five, and 
I feel like you'll know pretty early on if it's one of those lost seasons. You know what I mean? Like, if he's on the DL <laughs> in April and they're talking about, well, we have to get an MRI and, you know, we're going to wait six weeks and then get the MRI or whatever it is, then you can just bench him and just be like, well, he only cost me four homers. Let's move on. Um, but the, the upside is so great that I would actually kind of, I, w- I don't know if I'd take like three or four risks like that, but one, one health risk, I, I think I might take. Yeah, uh, this, this looks fun. Honestly, it looks like a fun league. I've never seen it set up like that. Just homers. It's so simple. I kind of like it. Yeah. I think we could probably make one for our listeners and viewers and all partake in this. So we'll come up some official rules and, and all that, which, you know, I'll, I'll work on that. But, uh, if people are interested I think we could make. Yeah, it. there's just, no there's no limit on to how many how many uh, people can be involved, right? So it's, it's ideal that way. Just fire a tweet my way. Uh, you don't wreck the inbox. <laughs> 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 it'll it'll be very easy to sign up for this if it uh, if it happens. But uh, I would agree with Kevin. It is a lot of fun, and maybe we'll have a Google Docs sign up sign up sheet that you'll you'll notice in the show notes or something. We'll we'll point you to it at some point. Yes, it will be clearly announced if this happens. <laughs> We had some uh, follow-up questions about the baseball. You know, you talked about some of the hitters who'd be most impacted by the uh, 2021 ball, and we had a few listeners reach out and ask sort of the opposite question. Which pitchers would benefit the most from it? Is it reasonable to start that conversation with a list of pitchers whose average home run distance allowed is short, right? If you were only allowing just the wall-scraping home runs or mostly allowing wall-scraping home runs, it would seem reasonable that you have the best chance of maybe benefiting from a ball that doesn't carry quite as well. I think so. But, um, there was this, uh, there was some good work by, uh, at, at choice underscore fielder. Um, and one thing that he pointed out was something that we've talked about a little bit on the show, which is the, uh, relationship between ground ball rate and home run rate is not as tight as you'd expect. So even on the, like who allowed what kind of homers thing, like, like there's a lot of noise there. Um, sometimes sinker ballers will give up a few really long ones and some really short ones and more homers than you expect, given how many ground balls they have. Just, it's not a linear thing where like, Oh, that guy has a 70, 60% ground ball rate. He's going to give up uh, a lot fewer homers than this other guy. That's part of why I think sinkers have gone out of flavor, um, in favor in baseball. And, um, but choice fielder kind of tried to look at it, uh, in terms of uh, some of those launch angles and exit velocities and all that stuff allowed. Um, and the the group of pitches that was on there was not uh, super obvious, but I remember Anthony Discalfani was number one. Um, and I, you know, I don't, I don't know how much the park is part of that and or, or how much it was just what kind of contact he was allowing. Um, I think that's the main part of the model, but if you want to bet on Anthony Discafati because of it, then uh, go on ahead, I guess. That was a fascinating article, you know. I know I missed you guys probably talked about it in an earlier show. Well, I know you did. Uh, but the the way that this is going to affect and the fact that pitchers all were like, hey, yeah, we knew the ball was different. Like, you're not fooling us at all, right? Uh, the whole thing was fascinating. And we talked a little off air about what's up with Rawlings? Like, why is it a separate entity? It seems, even though MLB owns it. It's like, hey, we told them to not use the balls that we made different last year. Right? Like, what? You what? told yourself? You told yourself yeah. not to use the balls <laughs> you made? Yeah. What do you mean? Like, memo to yourself? Did you do it in front <laughs> of the right. mirror? Like, <laughs> there I wondered be... if it's just like a way to hide accountability, like to defuse yes. the accountability or deflect accountability. That's how it reads. That's what it seems like. Yeah, because otherwise, if, if you were well run, uh, you would uh, you would have a group that you know worked with Rawlings, and they would say, "Okay, we want to make this change. Let's test it. Let's blah blah blah." No one has to tell anyone not to use it because we're all working together, and so we've created this ball, and now it's ready to go. You know, <laughs> whoa, yeah. whoa, don't use those balls, and then yeah, you know, not like, whoa, those, and, and like that means that they made enough, right? That means they made enough that baseball had to be like. Whoa! You can't you can't use those. <laughs> it wasn't like Rawlings came and be like, "We made these ten balls for you to check out," or "We made this fifty balls so you could check out." They made enough that the baseball had to be like, "No, no, they can't use those." What? And then you know Meredith Wills comes out and has a report that's like, "Well, there were basically two different balls in 2020." You know, listen, 
if you don't have sourcing, you can't necessarily. It's hard. Like Meredith had the science, and so, so she's she's she has a, a perspective on this, and that's valuable. Without the sourcing, it's hard to kind of be like definitive. Like I don't want to get sued by MLB for libel or whatever it is. You know, we're not. We don't want to get this one wrong. I can't say that. I'm for certain sure that some of those 2020 balls that baseball says they did not use in games did get into games. However, there's a lot of lines here where you're like, A, Rawlings made so many that that, that baseball had to say, no, you can't put them in the, into games. B, uh, Meredith Wills is saying there were two different balls in 2020. And C, uh, Rob Arthur is saying that the uh, that there was like a big discrepancy between sort of postseason balls and regular season balls, and that there's something was weird was going on with the drag in the balls. So it's like there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of smoke. I would have to say a lot of balls in the air. You would say <laughs> a lot of a lot of different balls in the air. Yeah. <laughs> so literally, I've been trying to learn how to juggle the last couple of weeks because my dog loves it. Hazel thinks it's the coolest thing in the world if I take three of her tennis balls or her favorite. Like I take Just a chucket like, ball and two watch tennis balls. One. Watch and she's so happy when I drop one. It doesn't take that long because I, I don't really know what I'm doing. So get a few tosses in. The balls collide midair, and she just goes and chases after one and comes back wagging her tail. So, uh, yeah, juggling is a good way to pass the time in a pandemic. But uh, I, don't, I, was to, I was trying to put a bow on that somehow, and I failed. We all need, we all need new hobbies. Yeah. We do. We had one more question that came in a while ago. It's, it's a pretty fun question, and I, I don't know why we keep like forgetting to get to it at the end of a show, but... This was a question that came from Will a long time ago, and he had a different part about Ben Zobris that we're not going to deal with right now. It's a perfectly fine question, but I don't want to talk about Ben Zobris today. Oh, what do you have against Ben Zobris? Is that guy Jeez. still playing? No. <laughs> Serious shade. Don't want to talk about Ben Zobris. Fine. Fine. I don't want to talk about Don Zobris either. Context for why this email begins with, another thing that I find myself often thinking about is Juan Soto's ceiling. I honestly mm. think he has the potential... To post an OBP above 500 in a 162 game season. I also think he's probably got a shot at posting an OPS above 1200. A 330, 500, 700 slash line does not seem like a huge long shot to me. Is it unlikely? Sure, but within the realm of possibility, and that alone says a lot. Anyway, thinking about Soto's crazy ceiling is always fun, and I think it would make for an interesting discussion for you guys to have on the show, especially in a fantasy context. Do you guys think that these kinds of numbers? Not seen since bonds are within reach for him. Love the show, Will. Um, Juan Soto, I, I feel like, is the, the least discussed awesome player of the current era. He really is. Like He's so amazing, and we're just like, yeah, he's awesome, and then we just don't talk about him. I don't think 330, 500, 700 is impossible for him. I really don't. I mean, I think he could put together one of those seasons that... 30 years from now, when people who didn't get to watch him are looking back at stats, they're going to have the holy crap, that season must have been incredible sort of reaction because what he's accomplished to this point in his career at such a young age is very, very difficult to match anywhere in baseball history. Yeah, I mean, I feel like he's talked about a lot because I have the benefit of being in D.C., <laughs> but certainly on a local level is different than a national level. I do think I said nobody realized, check out his numbers from last year and where they rank among the league. And then remember that this guy got delayed when he came over, got like a false positive COVID test and had to quarantine in his hotel room and do nothing for two weeks, then basically comes back, practices one time and puts together that kind of a season. It's it, like... The context the thing about the other it, guys that had similar situations, they they struggled for the most part, you know? Yeah. It's just, it doesn't seem like anything phases this guy. And, like, that is, to me, what's so incredible. Like, he gets hurt in the minor leagues, decides he's going to learn English. Now he doesn't ever use an interpreter, right? Like, he sits yeah. in a, a hotel room for two weeks while he's got his bat and he's timing pictures off of the TV. Like, he just, like, <laughs> always kind of finds a way. Like, in the playoff game... Uh, two years ago in 19, he felt like he missed a lot of pitches. So he spends, he gets Kevin Long, their hitting coach, and he's there till midnight fixing something. And the next day, you know, he, he hits like two bombs. Like it, it, to me, um, it's just impressive even beyond the stats. So yeah, I think he's capable of that. Just knowing what else he's done. Like he's learned new languages. He's, he's in the batting cages till midnight. He's like, cool. You want to quarantine me? I'll still take my hacks here in my hotel room. Um, (laughs) it's unbelievable. You remember those at bats um, against Cole, where you know he seems like he's learning 
every at-bat, right? And he had those at-bats against Cole in the World Series where in the first one, Cole was just trying to blow it by him up above, right? And Mm -hmm. Soto took a couple big hacks to try and get at at those fastballs and missed. And as he's walking off, he's looking at Cole, and he's so expressive too, you know? Like, you can kind of get a sense of what he's thinking, and he's like, He's like thinking about those pitches. He's thinking about those high pitches. He comes back the second time he sees Cole. Cole tries to sneak that same cheese by him. Bam! Home run. I mean, he's so smart. I think of him as Joey Votto's plate discipline with Miguel Cabrera's power to all fields. And I'm talking about young Miguel Cabrera. Don't don't start thinking about the Tigers version. <laughs> so, um, you know, if he retains a better body shape than Miguel Cabrera, too, um, you know, you could be talking about a career that surpasses Miguel Cabrera. Miguel Cabrera, for me, is a Hall of Famer. So, um, you know, we're already talking about a guy who's on the Hall of Fame trajectory. If you improve your swing rate every year, you improve your strikeout rate every year, you improve your walk rate every year, you improve your power every year. Yeah, uh, those things are on the table. Uh, this is a this is a Bonzian level player. And I don't, you know, the the next level for me, Soto Acuna Tatis. Um, and in that grouping, I see, you know, yes, Acuna plays center now, Tatis plays short. In terms of war, those guys might be out ahead. But if you're just looking right at the plate, Acuna and and Tatis have flaws that Soto doesn't. So if you're just talking about at the plate, I'm going to take Soto as the best bat in the major leagues for the next sort of three to five years. I know Trout is projected for a little bit more, and Trout's still there, and he's still amazing, and he's a Hall of Famer. Um, But one of these years, Soto is going to overtake him as the best bat in the big leagues. Yeah, I was just thinking about it from a, a dynasty league context too. I'm doing a, a dynasty league mock early next week, and Soto should be the first pick in a dynasty league yeah, if you were starting so. from scratch. I, yeah. I just think you're getting everything except for a high steals total, but you're getting everything at such an incredibly high level for what should be a very, very long time. Uh, probably the safest player in the pool. I think his per 150 game war is like five and a half to this point in his career. That's insane. And it's not going to be like Troutian and maybe even Tatisian because he just doesn't play center or short. You know, I mean, the the Trout was like, you know, eight to 10 for a while. Um, And that's, you know, that's just not in Soto's wheelhouse. But in terms of at the plate, uh, he's currently 52% better than league average, projected for his career, projected to be 60 to 70% better than league average. I mean, it's just uh, definitely the best bat in the big leagues, uh, I think, like starting this year. Yeah. What's so crazy, guys, is that so Soto said if he didn't sign with the Nationals, the other team was the Padres. Can you imagine a team with Tatis and Juan Soto? And on the flip side of that, Ronald uh, Cunha... uh, Almost signed with the Nationals. Like it came down to, I think maybe money. There was some issue there at the end. But can you imagine a Nationals team with Juan Soto and Acuna? I know it's a wow. fun. I might write this eventually because it's such a fun parallel universe to think about. Yeah. Um, how we don't make as big of a deal as we should probably of the international draft because what we just mentioned. Think about how different these organizations would be just with those moves I mentioned. Right. I mean, those three players you mentioned. You know, those are all three foreign players. So the international draft, I would like to see maybe made a bigger deal, I guess, in in future years. Tatis is a slightly different situation where he didn't sign for like max money, right? Like weren't like Acuna was like a sort of almost a max money. It's weird because there's uh, there's certain there's so many levels like there's so many salary suppression. So like there's only a certain amount you can get. So at some point you become a max signee, right? Like I think Acuna was and then you just pick where you go. Right. Then it almost doesn't matter. It's almost like when Otani came over, he was only going to get what he was going to get. So he could choose where he was going to go. And then it comes down to personal relationships and, um, you know, uh, what how you think of the what you think of the of the of the teams. Right. What do you think? Are the Padres going to be good anytime soon? Then I don't know if I want to sign with them. You know, I think Tatis was a little bit more of a surprise. I don't think he was a max of a max. uh, He was. Well, Acuna Soto made the most of all of them. The reason the Braves could lock up Acuna and Ozzy Alves was because both of those guys didn't get quite as big signing bonuses. So they Uh. needed money now. Whereas Soto's like sitting pretty hanging out with his signing bonus. And he's also got Scott Forrest as an agent, but he doesn't need, he didn't need this like immediate lockup the way that those two Braves guys did. So you're right. Mm. It's Tatis, I think, is in that same category where he's not really making anything. And so the Padres are trying to lock him up. 
Uh, but in his situation, it's even the cats are already out of the bag, right? Even more so than with Albies and Akuna at at that juncture in time. So yeah, it's it's fascinating. The international, it's only going to get bigger. But I would like to see fans like kind of know and watch and follow these guys as they get signed. Um, maybe a little bit more or just as much as the the pro draft. Well, guys. we're we're gonna see some of that. Uh, I mean, it's it, it like it's a little bit like the draft itself in baseball is like the least popular draft, right? It's just like, there's so many names and it's hard to kind of be on top of it as a fan, as a regular fan. And um, a lot of those names don't go anywhere for a few years and you don't see them in the big leagues and stuff. Um, but I think a lot of these international signings go fat, go faster and the hype train uh, gets attached to them quicker. We're going to see that Jason Dominguez right now is, you know, about to take off. Uh, uh, Jeff Passan reported that he hit a ball 117 miles an hour. Only four <laughs> guys in baseball did that last year. You're starting to get these hype videos that look like Cespedes at the barbecue, you know, with, uh, you know, he's got, uh, he, he looks like, he looks like Mike Trout kind of. He's got this huge kind of linebacker body um, and he's just smoking the ball in these like grainy videos. Um, so, you know, sometimes it doesn't happen when they sign with the team at the beginning. Sometimes it happens after, you know, you get the, they get them into the system. Um, and that's what, that's what happened with Tatis is, you know, he, he's, you know, that's how the, the Padres kind of heisted him off of the White Sox is, you know, wasn't really thought of as the same way and was just a guy in a ball. And then, then they got him into their system and he just took off like a rocket. So I wonder, you know, for me, Jason Dominguez is right at the middle of like, is the hype too far? Has the hype gone too far? Like you, we're going to get so many puff pieces about Jason Dominguez in the next couple of weeks. And um, we don't even know what his contact rates look like, you know? Yeah. We have no idea. I, I think the funny on. thing, <laughs> well, it's funny because in, in like the baseball card market, Dominguez rookie cards, like the rare limited run stuff goes for a fortune. Like it, you can buy, old graded Hall of Famer cards for less than it costs you to get a rare Jason Dominguez card. It's like, come on. Like I I love prospects. I, I'm excited to watch this guy someday too, but uh, if your choice is a, a nice old graded Willie Mays card or a one-of-one Jason Dominguez, <laughs> how do you not go get the Willie Mays card? Like it just that kind of stuff makes me. I'd love to see a comparison a too of like somebody like Juan Soto, where you're like, this guy's going to go into the Hall of Fame. You know, he's still young. We should still be excited about him. What about his rookie card? Yeah. Is Jason Dominguez's rookie card going for more than Juan Soto's? Like that would be ridiculous <laughs> to me. Yeah. Like it, you're still getting buying in on a guy who's going to be a Hall of Famer. Isn't the point to get someone? I don't know. Yeah. Some, right. Sometimes yeah, to get it all time market, great. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's just one of, one of the many places where the uh, interest levels in prospects go through the roof sometimes. Uh, before we go, uh, I want to put a congratulations slash thank you note out there for anybody who didn't see the announcement on Twitter. We won the award from the Fantasy Sports Writers Association for Best Fantasy Baseball Podcast in 2020, which is awesome. So uh, thank you to all of you guys uh, listening, and thank you to both of you for being on the show it's it's awesome to work with you guys it's just it's really cool to have work acknowledged in a field where there's so many people making great content i'm not just saying that to say that i think compared to 10 years ago when a lot of people didn't know what a podcast was compared to even five years ago when there were probably a third as many shows as there are now uh, there's a ton of great competition out there so to you know win an award like that is is really awesome yeah, congrats, guys. I feel like the neighbor who just shows up on Fridays. So I want to say that you guys. <laughs> oh, no, no. Uh, you a huge guys part do a great job. And I learn a ton every time I listen. I think the show has gotten a lot better with you. So thank you so much for, for joining us. And I think that, um, you know, I think the, the cool thing is that the, you know, it's a little bit awkward because we're in between fantasy and real and we do, we talk about all sorts of different things. Um, so it is kind of, I could see how you'd be like, well, you know, the fantasy show, that's you guys on Monday and Wednesday, but I think it's all, it's all intertwined, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a, it's a really cool kind of, uh, different approach, I think, um, and, uh, and, you know, we all, we all bring, uh, you know, I bring my terrible singing to the table. So 
We're gonna have to we're gonna have to turn everything up a notch, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm really sad there was no singing. I wanted to have our okay, so I was gonna have the king cake today from New Orleans, but it snowed here and so it didn't come. Mm. So it's supposed to come yesterday. I was gonna have it for the show. It's like a celebratory for you guys. So blame FedEx, blame the snow. I don't know, blame someone, but I don't have a cake. <laughs> Well, I should have got a Valentine's Day cake next to Derek's meat at the grocery store. <laughs> All I want is buy a cookie. Next year, you guys are. I need some Italian cookies in my belly. Yes, I think we can make that happen. We're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a, seriously, anybody who's listened to this show yeah, either definitely. for a week or for the time it's been running for the last two years now. I think we started two years ago in April. Uh, we really appreciate everybody who's listened, who's rated, who's reviewed, who's given us feedback, written an email. Uh, and like Eno said, Britt, we love having you as a part of our team. You're, you, are, you are on rates and barrels. Like there's not like a this time, not that time. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. you, are, you are part of our family here. So uh, if you'd like to leave us a rating and review, we'd appreciate it. You can do that, I think, on Apple Podcasts and a few other places as well. It helps new people find the show. Tell a friend if you like the show and you have a friend that would like baseball. That's always a good way to, to share things as well. On Twitter, she is at Britt underscore Giroli. He's at Eno Saris. I am at Derek Van Riper. You can sign up for The Athletic at $3.99 a month to start at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We continue on with our starting pitcher preview series when we return on Monday. Thanks for listening. <laughs>